Well, we're in a series that is called Greater, and it's on the book of Colossians, and we just kind of been going verse by verse, chunk by chunk, and just kind of making our way through the books. We're about, we're about halfway through the book of Colossians right now, and um, you know, we're going to be taking a look this week uh, in week number five as we've noticed and learned that Paul is communicating, Paul and Timothy have written to this new church that's about five years old, this baby church, full of a bunch of people who, see, a lot of times churches in the U.S., we grow because of church transplant. This was like massive evangelism. So there's a bunch of brand new believers in this church, and they come in with all of their baggage. How many know that? How many have your own baggage? Raise your other hand. And we come in with our baggage, and, and they were the same. And, and Paul's message to this church uh, was a strong message because this church, they were mixing the message of Jesus with, with Jewish religion and pagan ideas and secular philosophies and kind of making a hodgepodge religion. And they were very confused. They, they didn't know really what the right thing was. See, they didn't have the blessing of you and I. We actually have our Bibles to fall back on when we hear false things. We can go, is that really in the word? But they didn't have that. They just had a letter from Paul and that was about it. And so Paul writes them to encourage them and strengthen them. And he basically tells them this, that there's no greater message on the planet than the message about Christ. And so that's his message to this church. And, and I believe today that God wants to speak to us. And uh, the last several, several weeks, we've just been challenging our people uh, that at the end of the service, if you are familiar with Pentecostal churches, we love to do altar calls. And uh, sometimes we ask a lot of tricky questions to try to get everybody up here, but there's no tricks in here today. The only thing I'm gonna ask you today is, has God spoken to you today? And it is amazing what happens when people intentionally listen for God to speak to their hearts. And here's what it sounds like. When you're taking notes on your fill in the blanks or the, the, download, the notes you downloaded, when something jumps out on you and you want to circle it, or it jumps out in your spirit and you want to underline it, or you just kind of want to go, hmm, that was good, then those are all indicators. Those are all things that the Holy Spirit is drawing something out to you, and he's trying to talk to you about something. And so as he does that today, I want to encourage you to listen and lean in. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you for who you are. God, we just we open our hands as a sign of surrender. I want to invite you to do that, just palms up. God, we open our hands as a sign of surrender to you. And we just say, we're here to listen to you. We're here to hear what you have to say to our hearts because you are a personal God. And, and no matter what I'm going through today, God, you have something for me and I want to hear in Jesus' name. Somebody say, amen. amen. Well, we've entitled this message today, Greater Salvation. Somebody say, Greater Salvation. You can open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verse 11 through 15. And before I read the passage for today, remember, we're coming off of the heels of uh, chapter 2, the opening verses where Paul has some concern for this church. And Pastor Chris drew out this concern that he had and, and, and essentially let us know that Paul was instructing this church to keep their eyes on Jesus, to not be caught up with the mixture and all all of the different ideas that were around them and, and throw them in with their version of Christianity, but just stand on the pure message of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I can only imagine the questions this church 
had as they walked into their communities and had conversation with other Jewish people and, and other pagans and the, or other philosophers and, and were letting people know, hey, I just stand on the message of Jesus. That's how I'm saved. Jesus is the son of God and that's all I know and that's all I'm gonna stand on. I can imagine that people had a lot of things to say about this church's newfound faith. I'm sure they asked a lot of questions about the validity of their salvation. I mean, I know what you really think, I'm sure people thought. I know what you really participate in. I know how messed up you really are. Are you sure you're saved? You know, no doubt their, their relationship with God was in question. How many know a lot of new believers, man, when you are a mess, you might be like, are they really saved? And there's some people after a long time serving Jesus, you're still like, are they really saved? Because their life is just a mess. How many know life is messy? It's just how it is. And Paul came to this messy church with people who had messy lives and he had a strong message for them. See, when you're around people who cast doubt on your relationship with Jesus and they cast doubt on your salvation, it can cause you to question your own salvation. It can cause you to go, hmm, I wonder if they're really right. And, and I want to tell you, until you actually let that question sit in your heart for a moment, and you bring that question to the Holy Spirit, and you search the scriptures for an answer to that question, you will always be unsure of your faith every time somebody doubts it. And every time the enemy whispers at you when you fail or, or you do whatever you know you shouldn't do, and he whispers, are you sure you're saved? You're going to doubt your salvation if you never answer this question. So today, it's as if Paul is coming to the church saying, hey, I want to settle something for you. I want to answer a question. And so here's the, here's the really big question, I think, that as the Colossian church answered this question, that we should all answer it, and it's up on the screen today. And here's the, the really big question that we want to answer, and it's this. Am I really saved? Am I really saved? Every single one of us need to be able to answer that question as a believer in Jesus. And here's what you need to know. You're not weird for wondering this. Um, you're not uh, a doubting Christian for wondering this. But you need to consider this and settle this. See, I know a lot of Christians who have asked this question to themselves time and time and time again because they have never really come to scriptures and settled it once and for all. You know, especially if you grew up Pentecostal. How many grew up like a good Pentecostal? So raise your hand like a good Pentecostal in the house. If you grew up now Pentecostals, raise your hand and look around. Look, we're in a church full of people who are different from you, from different backgrounds, from all kinds of different uh, different streams of Christianity, and some maybe none. But if you grew up Pentecostal, you probably questioned your salvation hundreds of times and repented thousands of times and came to the altar every single Sunday to re-give your life back to Jesus. See, here's what it sounds like after you fail. You, the question sounds like, are you sure you're really a Christian? Because if you really loved God, you would have never done that. And the enemy jumps in and he, he begins to cause doubt in your heart. And, and if we're honest, there are times that we actually look at other people and we go, I can't believe they did that. I mean, if they really loved Jesus, they would have never even gotten close to that line. And, and here they are diving off into the deep end. How in the world did they ever get there? See, I, I, I know we all have our lists of do's and don'ts. That's the problem. 
and my list is different from yours and yours is different from mine. And if we just go to the scripture, scripture settles a score on all of the sins. Just go read about them all. Isn't it so funny that we want to judge somebody about their same-sex attraction? We want to judge somebody about, about the fact that they're having sex with their boyfriend or their girlfriend, yet we're a total glutton and have no control in our life. Yet we're a total liar and we don't know how to tell the truth. Yet we're an idolater in our heart because we can't control the lust that is burning in our eyes, but we maybe never have done it. But Jesus' point to everybody is that it's about what's going on in the heart. And what's going on in the heart comes out in the life and out in the body. And here's Paul's response to a group of people who are being challenged with the question, are you sure you're saved? Colossians 2, 11 through 15. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him how, Paul? How, Paul, were you raised with him? How does that actually work? And Paul replies, you were raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised Jesus from the dead. And when you were dead in your sin and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. And he forgave us of all, somebody say all, our sin, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Somebody say hallelujah. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, man, there is a lot in these six verses. Today, we're going to get through three of them, but I read it all together because I, we need you to keep in view today's message and next week's message as we talk more about forgiveness. So Paul is reminding this church of some really good news in the midst of their struggle, in the midst of them questioning their salvation. Paul says, stop questioning your salvation because I want you to know something. In Christ, there is greater salvation. In your notes, Paul is dealing with a foundational question like, how saved am I? And I think everybody wants to know the answer to that question. How saved am I? See, some of you think you're half saved. Some of you think you're 90% saved and, and you're going to need a, a good bubble bath before you get into heaven because you're just not quite good enough yet. And Paul says to these believers in the church of Colossae, he says, no, you are saved. He says this in verse 11. It says it like this. Let's read it on the screen. In him, which is in Jesus, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Now, this may sound really strange to you if you're not from church and if you're not a Jew by, you know, by birth and, and by religion, but many of us know that circumcision happens when a child is newly born, the, the foreskin of the male is cut off. Now, this was also a practice because of the Jewish law. We see that in Leviticus chapter 12. And when these young boys were circumcised, it was, a, it was a public sign to the community and the people around them that these people, they look different because they are different. They're set apart for the purposes of God. These are God's children. And so it was an outward sign of a spiritual truth. Now, how many of you know, um, whenever we take a look at the word circumcision in Scripture, 
we could actually think of this word as salvation. Because everything in the Old Testament, everything we find in the, in the law, everything points forward to Christ. Everything in the law is a physical picture of what, some, of what will eventually happen spiritually. And circumcision is no different. And so we could read this scripture like this if we were to take the word circumcision and put the word scripture in there. Now, I'm just scripture, salvation in there. Now, don't say like Sean's twisting the scripture and he's like taking words in and out and I can't believe it, what a heretic. But, but that's, that's what the spiritual picture of this word circumcision is. And so here's what it would, it would sound like. It would say, in him, in Jesus, you were also saved with a salvation not performed by human hands. What is Paul saying? In your notes, he's saying, you are now set apart. This was the sign of circumcision. And he's saying to this church in Colossae, you have been completely saved and set apart just like the Jewish boys were when they were physically circumcised. You have been spiritually circumcised. And now you are set apart from your old way of life and you're set apart for the purposes of God. That foreskin that was cut off is a symbol or a representation of the old life, of the life of sin. See, when Adam fell in the garden, his heart was darkened and he became a sinner because he, he was departed from the life of Christ that was inside of him. So his heart was hardened. And circumcision is like a picture of that hardened part of our heart, that fallen nature being absolutely cut off. We'll talk more about that in a few moments. And Paul is essentially saying, hey, when God did surgery on you, Colossians, I want you to know he did a really good job. When he cut that, that cancer out of your life called sin, he didn't leave a little bit in there. In fact, he's a really good surgeon. He cut it all out. And the sin nature is no longer a part of you. See, some of you have been second guessing your salvation because you don't feel like a good Christian at times, or you don't feel set apart at times because of the sin that you may have participated in. And the tension you feel is that you are 100% saved, but yet sometimes you're still tempted to save, to sin, and sometimes you do sin. And that's the tension we feel in our heart that's making us go, am I saved? Am I not saved? And here's why Paul addresses this. And Paul is letting them know, hey, listen, when you were saved, your old sin nature was cut off. Salvation is instantaneous. But transformation is a process. And, and in that process, your mind is, is still being rewired and you're getting new messages to your mind and it's teaching you a new way of living. You now have the life of Christ in you that is showing you something new, but your mind is so programmed to the old nature and the old way of thinking that that's usually your first inclination. And then the Holy Spirit says, oh no, not that, but it's actually this. And so that is called the process of, of, of sanctification. And, and I'm just saying, I'm using the word transformation. And how many of you know that when you spend 20 years in sin, you're not going to in one day be completely transformed and act like Christ in your mind. It's just not going to happen. It's going to happen over time as you engage in the word and, and God transforms your life. I want you to know that when those signals go off and, and you're about to go off into la la land and, and, and participate into your old dead sin nature, and, and maybe if you do participate, and that guilt and that, that feeling that you feel inside, that's called the conviction of the Holy Spirit. 
the Holy Spirit is actually reminding you and convincing you that's not who you are. And the crazy thing is sometimes with that guilt that we feel and that, that shame that we feel at times, that, that, that weight that we feel on us is actually a gift from God. It should be a sign to you, oh, I actually hear the Holy Spirit telling me, Sean, you weren't made for that. Son, you weren't made for that. Daughter, you were not made for that. Sin doesn't look good on you. That's what's going on. And the Holy Spirit is drawing you back to your nature, who you really are, who you should be identifying with, which is Christ. Paul is answering some questions here. How saved are you? And he responds by, by saying, you're so saved. You've been completely set apart. It's a done deal. You are in the family of God. And I'm not kicking you out anytime soon. And Paul deals with it really strong. And in your notes, he goes on and, and gives them another, another, uh, another great surety. He says, he says this, you've been set apart, but you are also now secure in your notes. You're now secure. We see this in Colossians 2, verse 11, and the latter part of the verse. He says, because you've been set apart, you can be secure and sure that you are saved. And, and here's what it says. It says this, in him you were circumcised. You were saved with a salvation, a circumcision, not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised or saved by Christ. See, here's what I know. When human hands are involved, even the most skilled physicians, the most skilled surgeons make mistakes and get it wrong. Whenever man's involved. And because man loves to get involved in the works of salvation, they get it all wrong. And we see this when we, when we take a look at the Jewish history as, as they got introduced and they were pointed to who Christ was and, and they missed it. They, they, many of them could not see who Christ was. And, and the whole message to Jews is, hey, you were promised a savior and here he is, his name is Jesus. And they refused to listen to that. And they put their hands and they got involved in the message. And they were telling the, the Colossian believers, hey, you guys need to get circumcised. What you're doing is not enough. If you really want to be a part of God's family, our family, we're the chosen ones, then you should be circumcised. And that's this message that they were getting. And, and here's what I know. As long as people are using rules and works and regulations to discover and find the answer for their salvation, they will never find it. Because rules, regulations, and laws can never free you from sin. Jesus would have never had to come if that was the case. We could have just kept following the Ten Commandments along with the 614 other laws that are found in the Jewish law. But when God's hands are involved, we can be sure, we can be secure that what he does, he does right as a really good physician. He knows what he's doing. In fact, John 10, 28, Jesus says it like this. I give them eternal life. Who gives eternal life? Jesus. I give eternal life and they shall never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hands. Friends, no matter how you feel, no matter how you fail, if you have placed your faith in the work of Christ for your salvation, no one can snatch you out of your hands. That's some really good news that God has a good grip on you. You should say, thank you, Lord, for that. Amen. See, this is why what you believe about God is so important. 
Because you will be so wishy-washy in your faith. You will be so uncertain about the love of the Father when you are unsure about how you answer this question regarding your salvation. You know, did you know that when you sin, you don't fall out of grace? And I know I might get in a lot of trouble here by making that statement. But I'm going to tell you, when you sin, you don't fall out of grace. Sinning does not mean falling out of grace. And if you don't believe me, let's go to the scriptures to find out what falling out of grace truly means. We can see this in Galatians 5, verse 4. It says it like this. I wish I would have put it on the screen for you today. It says it like this. Write it down, Galatians 5, 4. If you are trying to make yourself right with God by keeping the law, some of you might need to pull this out and read it for yourself. Don't ever take my word for anything because if you're like, this guy's going off the rails, then get the Bible out and read it for yourself. If you are trying to make yourself right by the law, by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. (laughs) You have fallen away from God's grace. Did you know that falling from grace means falling from the message of grace, the good news about who Jesus Christ is, and turning back to the law and depending on rules and rituals for your salvation? The church in Colossae is evidence that you can be sure of your salvation. Considering the mixture they were in, the bad beliefs they had as new believers, their baggage, their background, all the, look at these Greek believers were a bunch of pagans, y'all. And they were only five-year-old believers and they didn't have great Bible teaching probably because there was no scriptures. There were no trained, there were no trained uh, preachers. All they had was somebody coming and bringing a letter to them. And then they had to remember what this letter meant. And a lot of times these letters were passed around to other churches. So once a letter came, it was gone. And then you just had to depend on your memory to remember how this whole thing works. But make no mistake. Somebody say, make no mistake. This is not an affirmation for their mixture. Okay, now take a deep breath. This was not an affirmation for their mixture. It's just a provision of grace for their mixture. This, this message of salvation, this surety that Paul was giving this church who was messed up and had, it almost appeared that they had one foot in and one foot out. These new baby believers kind of trying to figure, have you ever seen a baby walk? I really want to demonstrate, but I just have too much pride today. I have too much pride. This was not an affirmation of their mixture and their immaturity, but it was a provision of grace for their mixture and immaturity. And I believe Paul would say to this church, get out of your mixture fast. Get out of your mixture. We're talking about a greater salvation. I see Paul responding, some questions floating around in this church. He's answered the question, how saved am I? He tells them, hey, you are 100% saved. You have been circumcised, set apart for the family of God. The next question Paul answers here regarding salvation is this question. It's how was I saved? How was I saved? The first question, how saved am I? That, that question is a matter of explaining the finality of salvation. This question, how saved, how saved was I, or excuse me, how was I saved is a matter of the function of salvation. 
And I think understanding the function of salvation is really, really important for you and I. And Paul gives two answers to this question. And he essentially says this in your notes. He says, here's how you were saved. You were saved by the removing of your sin nature. We kind of talked about it a moment ago. That's how you were saved. You weren't saved because you did anything uh, right with the law. You weren't saved because you did all the right rituals. You were saved because I'm a good surgeon, God said, because I took your sin nature when you chose to believe in me for your salvation, and I cut it off, and I removed it from you. Here's what scripture says, same verse, verse 11, part C, the last part of the verse. Here's what he says. Your whole self that was ruled by the flesh, how many know your whole self? He's talking about your sin nature, the the old you, the old version of you. Your whole old version of you that was ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. It was put off. It It was removed. It was taken away from you. How many know that if you have no sin nature, it's not gonna be counted against you in eternity? Because you have been given a brand new nature in Christ. When, Paul, when was it put off? Paul says, it was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. It was put off when you were saved by Christ. Your sin nature was removed. Some other translations, instead of the word put off, they they use this. They say, stripping away of the corrupt nature or the removal of the body of flesh. Here's the good news for some of you who are questioning your salvation. How did he save you? How saved you? You are saved. You You were set apart for the family of God. And he did it by removing the sin nature that was holding you captive to sin. I'm going to, I'm going to draw for you and use some of my artistic skills. And, and here, here's what I just want you to know. I didn't say I was a good artist. I just said, I'm going to draw for you today. All right. Just, just here's the expectation you can have right now here in this moment. If you have a three-year-old that loves to draw pictures for you, that's what you're about to get. Okay. (laughs) You, you all, are y'all good with that? See, sometimes when I'm trying to understand scripture and I'm trying to understand how things work, I draw pictures. I, and if you don't believe me, um, I can send you some pictures of my journal because there's times like I'm, I'm trying to process the word. That's just how, and so I'm like, like okay, how does that work? And so, so I draw things out. And so, so I'm gonna draw for you. I, I, I'm not really great at, I should have had Julia come draw this. Julia, see, how many like my heart? Is that pretty good? A little bubbly. Thank you. That's so good. When, when, we were, when, we were, when we were in the garden, we had a perfect heart. It was completely perfected. It was beautiful. It was absolutely amazing. And when, when, when Adam fell in the garden, the rest of humanity fell with Adam. And so now just like imagine like another heart over here. This heart kind of fell, right? This is, this is like the fallen that's the fallen, broken heart. Okay, that's the fallen heart. And here, here's what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 17, 9. Here's what he says about the fallen heart, right? He says this, he says, the heart is deceitful beyond all things who can understand it. And there are so many Christians running around saying, my heart is so bad, my heart is so corrupt, who can understand it, I can't believe it. But here's what we need to understand. That was written by a man who was under the law. And what, here, here's, here's, what, here's what the law does. It can only show us that we're broken because it shows us God's perfection. And the reason why people under the law are always going, 
The heart is deceitful beyond all understanding. Who can understand it? Because all they can see is what's wrong and what's broken with them. And, 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 and here's what happens. So we, we're only destined for one place. We're only destined for one place. Because our heart has been broken, it's been fractured, we now have a sin nature. We, we are not appropriate to be in God's, in God's kingdom. Because God is establishing a kingdom that's perfect and that's safe for you. So the reason why God casted sin out of the garden is because he wanted to make sure that the place that his sons and daughters lived was a safe place for them and it represented his kingdom well. So people were removed from the garden and because of what Jesus did on the cross, he begins to change things for you and I. And so we talked just a moment ago about circumcision, about God taking away our sinful nature, God removing the old heart of stone. In your notes, Paul continues in verse 12 as he's describing this final question and helping people to understand how was I saved. He gave them this picture of circumcision, and then he turns around and kind of gives them this other picture. In your notes, you could, you could write this down. You were saved by my finished work, is what Jesus would say to you. And we see this in verse 12, and we we can say, well, what is the finished work of Christ all about? We see it in verse 12 up here. Here's what it says. It says, it says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. See, here's what we need to know. When Christ died, his finished work, when you hear that phrase, it's, it's his death, his burial, and resurrection, right? How many of us know Jesus died on the cross for our sin, right? Yeah. When he died, I don't know, here, here's a cross for us all, okay? Okay, when he died, co, there, that was an eye, and then I wrapped the D around the eye, so let me give you another eye. When he, when he died on the cross for us, the reason why he died is because the I-E-D. <laughs> caught, my, caught myself. <laughs> Here's what's important about the finished work. When he died, he didn't die just for you, but he actually died as you. And, and that's, why, that's why it's so important for you to understand how you were saved. He died for you. He paid the penalty for your sin that you could never pay. So what, you, what, what the law demanded was payment. And it was your death. But he paid it so you didn't have to pay it. Yeah. See, if I just write really scribbly and you know what the word is, you can't tell if I misspelled it. <laughs> And, and scripture says, it says this, that you were actually buried with him in baptism. How many of you know baptism going into the water, death, burial, that's the representation. You were buried with him and then you actually, you actually died and then you were buried. And when he, when he was buried, he did something that you and I can never do. He went down into hell and hell didn't swallow him up. He actually conquered everything that was down there. Because you couldn't handle going to hell. You would have stayed there. But he was victorious in hell. And, and, and he gave you his victory. And because he gave you his victory, Scripture tells us, it says, it says you buried with him in baptism, but you were also raised with him. I don't know. I'm going to do like, I'm going to pick that. I'm going to pick the Easter Jesus color, the blue sash. 
you were raised with him to new life. And the crazy thing is you, you were not like raised by yourself. You were raised with him. So you were actually co-raised. I'm cheating. Look, I can see raised right there. You co-died, you were co-buried, and you were co-raised with him into new life. And you no longer have a tore-up, beat-up heart because every, every old thing about you was cut off in hell when you were raised. And the old dead version of you stayed down there, and now you have been raised in your new nature. How many of you are grateful for the finished work of the cross? And, and Paul, is, Paul is trying to make things really, really clear for this church. And he's trying to help them to understand the validity of their salvation and how they were saved. And when you understand how you're saved, you'll understand how safe you are in the hands of the Father. This is why Ezekiel the prophet said, I will give them a new heart. I'm not going to transplant a jacked up heart back into them. He didn't give you some jacked up used heart. He gave you the heart of Jesus. That new heart, that soft heart of flesh is the heart of God inside of you. So to continue as a believer to, to declare that you are walking around with a corrupt heart would be to deny the work of Jesus Christ because he didn't give you a corrupt heart. You actually have his heart how many know that's some really good news today? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes today. And the question I have for you is kind of the, the questions that the church in Colossae were most likely being asked, how saved are you? Do you even understand how you were saved? See, today, if you're in this room and you have never, never made a commitment to Jesus, never received the life of Jesus, I want you to know today that there's no amount of good works you could ever do to pay God back or to pay any of your, any of the people you have have offended. You can never pay them back enough to receive forgiveness. You are, you are so indebted, but that's why Jesus came and paid the price for you. And I want you to be really clear about this because sometimes we try to make salvation so easy. Just raise your hand and say this prayer. But here's what, here's what God is asking you. He, he's asking you this. Are you aware of how different you and I are? He said, I, I'm perfect and I'm holy and I'm pure. And my ways are always right. I always take good care of my family. And how I take care of my family is a lot different than how you take care of your family. How you take care of yourself is way different than how I would take care of you. And God's asking you to be aware of your sin. And the invitation to be a part of the family of God, God is inviting you to be a part of his family and to receive his life and make him your Lord and Savior. But here's what he's asking you. He's asking you, are you willing to turn away from your life of sin? Are you willing to look at my ways and go, I recognize, God, that your ways are better. 
And when I look back at my life, I recognize how, how awful and how much turmoil and how, yes, there may be temporary pleasures here, but they never turn out good. How I do my life always turns out bad. So God, I want to turn away from my old life. That's part of what repentance means. And I want to turn to you and I want to bow and make you my Lord and Savior. And God, by your grace, because I don't deserve it, I want to receive your life. And by your grace, I want to continue to walk in your ways. And when, whenever, I, whenever I turn back to my old life and I act like the old dead guy that I used to be, I ask that your Holy Spirit would convict me and convince me and prompt me and pull me back to who I really am because that's not who I am anymore.